0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
0: Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to the Lit Up Lightworker podcast, bringing you fun and soulful interviews with spiritual teachers with the aim of tuning you in and lighting you up with your host, George Lizos.
1: Lightworker, what is your relationship with alcohol? Are you a regular, social drinker or do you not drink at all? And how does this affect your spiritual journey? In this week's episode, I have with me Ruby Warrington, who is the creator of The Numinous and the author of Sober Curious. Now personally, I've had a love and hate relationship with alcohol over the years. While at university, I enjoyed many nights of mindless drinking that set me back on my spiritual path. And it wasn't after a big wake-up call that I talk about in the interview that I finally quit drinking kinda quit, cause today I just drink occasionally when I feel like it. But whether you choose to drink alcohol or not, you learn a lot about its connection to spirituality and to your life in general in this episode. Specifically, Ruby and I talk about where the need to drink, socially or not, comes from, how to enjoy sober love, sex, and relationships, Ruby offers practical and judgment-free guidance on getting sober, and we talk about how to get drunk on life instead. So after listening to the episode, come join the discussion about it in your Spiritual Toolkit Facebook group and tell me about your own relationship with alcohol as it relates to spirituality. But without further ado, enjoy this episode with Ruby Warrington. And I'm so excited to have here with me Ruby Warrington. Ruby is a British writer, author, and thought leader currently located in NYC. Formerly features editor on the UK Sunday Times Style Supplement, she's the founder of the Numinous and co-founder of Sober Curious event series Club Soda NYC and online spiritual mentoring program Moon Club. Her two books, Material Girl, Mystical World and Sober Curious are both published by HarperCollins Ruby, welcome to the Lit Up Lightworker podcast.
0: Thank you.
1: So, first of all, I love the book, I love the title, and I love the concept. I love that it's not about alcoholism per se, it's about exploring our relationship with alcohol, our drinking patterns, and really asking the questions of why do we drink? What is it about alcohol? Why do we do this? Why do we engage in this uh, activity? In a mindless way, and learning to mm-hmm. uh, improve our relationship with alcohol. So, I want to start with your own relationship with alcohol over the years, and therefore mm. your journey to getting to become sober curious.
2: Mm, cool. Well, thank you for that intro and for for expressing even off the bat that this is not this is a book for anyone and everybody. And I think mm. when I first started to get sober curious about eight years ago and I'll describe my kind of like my official work line on what that term kind of means. Um, it really, it was as soon as I stepped out of the kind of dominant mindless drinking culture that I'd been engaging in, but I really began to notice how alcohol, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter what your background is, um, if you're an adult human in Western society, alcohol impacts every part of our life like everything from our physical well-being to our productivity to our emotional well-being to our mental health to our relationships to our sexuality like every area of life alcohol is like there and that to me just seemed kind of crazy and it was just like wow why do we not talk about this actually you know why do we only ever talk about this if it gets to a point where alcohol is presenting as a serious problem for a person once you once you identify having an alcohol problem, then you get to talk about it and then you get to question and ask mm-hmm. all of these questions, right? But until it gets to that point, then you're just um, a quote unquote normal drinker, just kind of like doing this thing that everybody does without question. So to be sober curious means literally to question every impulse, every invitation and every expectation to drink. Before just mindlessly going along with yes, I'll have a drink because absolutely because that's actually alcohol is a very very potent Psychoactive drug (laughs) and it can have a really profound impact on us, right? Um, so in terms of my own alcohol consumption, um, I Didn't really drink all through my teens and in college largely because I had an eating disorder And I was very scared of calories (laughs) And it was something I wasn't allowing myself. And I was in a relationship with a guy who was very controlling and he didn't like me. He didn't want me to be drinking either. So I didn't really drink, start drinking until um, my early twenties after I left, left him and kind of like began to get my life back. Um, And then I very joyously engaged in the kind of like London party scene, like kind of social life and drinking was just such a big part of that. And honestly at the time, and I described this in the book, it really was like I gave up one kind of like crutch meaning this relationship and my eating disorder which were both I think kind of addictions obviously um, and then kind of just like alcohol filled in the, the hole that those two experiences had left behind mm-hmm. and I only really realized that after I stopped drinking after I began to question like what were some of my deeper reasons for drinking I didn't really put those two pieces of the puzzle together but I became like just a very a reg, just like a regular kind of like social drinker, but probably quite a heavy social drinker Like I really enjoyed drinking <laughs> and I really enjoyed clubbing and you know going on boozy holidays lots of cocktails with my yeah. girlfriends, and All the, the fun things right and of course all of that fun came with its negative side effects but I was willing to put up with the side effects or I just was accepting of the side effects because I thought that to experience that fun, those those fun experiences of freedom or connection with my friends, I thought that the price was, okay, I have to have a hangover, <laughs> which I realized that no, I don't have to have a hangover to have all of those things, you know? It's like, yeah, but that's kind of like the, the deeper part yeah. of my journey as well, you know, has been really realizing but I don't need alcohol to experience any of those those things in my life
1: <laughs> so what was the turning point for you when did you realize oh my god I, I need to become sober cute. when what did you start questioning was well, there I, a specific turning point or was it a series of events that led you to realize that
2: it was kind of like a period I was going through a period of life where I had my dream job like I was working hmm. with really kind of um, aspirational career I had achieved many of my ambitions but my job was also very stressful I think many yeah. people will experience that you kind of get to something you've been striving for and then actually the because you wanted it so much and you placed it on such a pedestal there's almost this additional stress of like I've got to do my best and like gotta this got to, this is you know I've got to be perfect almost anyway so the the stress of this was was really weighing on me and I was going through a period of a lot of very intense anxiety and I'm sure that many of your viewers will be familiar Mm. with going through these these periods of life when it just feels like anxiety really kind of dogs you and it's just always there clouding in the background of your days I think many people who turn to the kind of work that you do and the kind of stuff I talk about on the Numinous have experienced this and it's almost like where's it's coming from like why am I so anxious why is it so hard for me to feel joyful or or to relax even And it's partly just the world that we live in now like there are so many mm. reasons to feel anxious but for me it was definitely connected to this job I was doing um and I really noticed how when I drank alcohol and I guess I began using alcohol more as a way to relax and to block out some of those negative feelings I noticed that when I used alcohol the next day I would just feel just like it was just terrible. It was really hard to operate. Um, the anxiety would be so much worse. So it was around then that I began to question whether that formula or that equation, that payoff that I described earlier, was actually worth it. Whether the the, pay, the, the negative side effects were actually worth the kind of like short period of fun that I was having, or short period of relaxation I thought I was getting from drinking. Um, so that was when the questioning started, and like I said, that was about nine. That was about nine years ago. But then I had this experience that I talk about in the book. I went. I got sent to a yoga retreat to report for the magazine I was working on. Kind of again, like dream gig, and yet I'm filled with anxiety doing all this stuff. But I got sent on this yoga retreat, and it was Kundalini yoga. For anyone who's familiar, Kundalini yoga is kind of like it's designed to get you out of your comfort zone, and it also. <laughs> To move energy, stuck energy very quickly through your body. And um, they were serving no alcohol on this retreat, of course, as well. So I had a weekend, like you know, Friday, Saturday, maybe Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, where I didn't drink any alcohol. And I really noticed on the Monday just how very different I feel. And it was a combination of doing this Kundalini yoga all weekend, moving through a load of kind of like anxiety and stuck emotion. But then not drinking. And it was just like night and day, like I felt so different i could no longer ignore the impact that alcohol was having on my life like there was no more kind of pretending that that wasn't a major cause actually or a major contributor to how bad I was feeling at the time and i didn't stop drinking it was like <laughs> it, felt, it was so i, I knew this i yeah. knew this was like a like, uh, but i still didn't stop drinking because it was so interwoven into all of my social um Owned oh, all my social interactions. It was like how I how I differentiated between work life and downtime. Like it was just so I drank a lot with my husband. It was so part of all of my relationships, my family life even as well, that I couldn't like contemplating not drinking just seemed so extreme.
1: It's interesting how the the signs keep coming and coming and yet we ignore them. I have a similar story. I started drinking heavily when I went to university in Bristol in the UK, so I engaged in the normal drinking student life. And then at the same time, I would keep developing and nurturing my, my spiritual journey. I would meditate, do all my spiritual practice, and I kept getting the sign, you have to quit drinking, you have to quit drinking, you have to quit drinking. And every single weekend, I would go out, get drunk, come back, have a hangover, and then promise I would never do it again next week. And then next week, There I was doing the same thing. And the signs, Ruby, got bigger and bigger until I didn't have a choice but to quit. So what happened was my cousin came to visit. We were getting ready to go out. And usually I was having a bottle of red wine for pre-drinks. And while she was straightening her hair, she put the iron on the floor. And I stepped in it while I was barefoot. I burnt my foot. I was so drunk, I didn't even realize it. I went to the club, came back the following day. I had a huge blister. Long story short, it got infected and I was limping for two months. So that was the last time I had red wine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is a big wake up call, right? Big wake
1: up call. It's interesting, but yeah. Well, I was gonna say
2: those, those, They will get more and more intense, more and more, and more and more severe, and more and more potentially damaging and dangerous. The longer you ignore them, yeah.
1: Until we pay notice and take action for our exactly. for ourselves, basically. So you you touched on the so sober curious is all about questioning the impulse and asking the questions. So because alcohol is so embedded in our culture, we no longer stop to ask those questions. So my question to you is. Where does the need to drink, socially or not, come from in the first place? What what is it within us that creates this need? Oh my God, I need this right now in my life.
2: It's very interesting, right? Because kids don't feel that way. Mm. Right? Kids don't have any problems socializing, hanging out with the best friend, without alcohol, right? It's like and I do think I think so much of it is conditioning. I think that the need actually comes from the belief that's ingrained from early childhood even like watching how adults drink watching how our parents drink we just see it like the same way we learn language it's so ingrained in our environment we just kind of absorb the messaging or the idea that I need alcohol to be social and yeah. then of course yeah like social anxiety is also very real like especially if you're anywhere on the more introverted end of the spectrum which I most definitely am like I way prefer socializing with people one on one Yes. And in an intimate setting, maybe a small group of close friends, than in a big party. Or like, I love going clubbing, but then I'm kind of like, I'm not actually talking to anyone. I'm just dancing. No, chatting to friend. yourself. That's what I do. <laughs> but party, parties, and networking events and things like that, socialising in big groups, I've always found really anxiety-inducing. And I think a lot of people do a lot more people than are comfortable talking about that or even acknowledge it in themselves. And alcohol, because of the way it numbs down. Our feelings mm. of insecurity. What it actually specifically does, there's a part, a very small and specific part of our brain that actually monitors how other people, how we perceive other people are perceiving us. Like it monitors what we think people think about us. If that makes sense. <laughs> and alcohol switches that part of our brain off.
1: Mm. So when we
2: lose our inhibitions and we feel more free to be ourselves, we feel more comfortable socially. It's because we've stopped worrying what other people think about us. And that's like so much of you know the work you do, like so much of the work I do is about helping people to feel okay about just being themselves and not worrying what other people think. And being present, yes. Yeah. That's, that's ultimately what we want. And because alcohol is a substance that does that very quickly. Yes. That's I think part of its appeal. But mm. lots of the 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 belief that we need alcohol in social situations is just conditioning it's because we see it in movies we see it on TV shows we see like I said our friends and family doing it it's just like if you if we didn't grow if we grew up in a culture where drinking was not normalized we wouldn't drink
1: it makes absolute sense I remember even last year I went to uh, to to Madrid in Spain for a month to do an, an intensive Spanish course and then I needed friends because I was there by myself. So I'm like, what's the easiest way to get friends? Just go out there when everybody's smoking and then go to the club where they're drinking so I could meet people. And then I'm like, I was hearing in myself think, I'm like, I can't believe I just had this thought, like go start smoking and go have a drink just so you can meet people yeah, because as right. you just said, it's so embedded in, in culture. Like I remember when I got into cocktails, it was all because I loved watching Sex in the City So, I'm like, I want to learn to make my own cosmos. So, I started making my own cosmopolitan. I got a mixer and my own martini glasses. And then I would sit by myself by the window enjoying a cosmopolitan. And I'm like, why am I doing this just because Carrie Bradshaw does it in a fictional show?
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, a fictional show that was also a mirror of life in a city like New York, like cities like New York and London. I think in a way, I mean they're very social towns, but a lot of that I think is because they're very transient towns. So many people yeah. come to these places, they leave their family, then they leave their, you know, they come to these places where it's like, okay, I need to meet people. I need to find ways to socializing, and that can be very intimidating. So again, here comes alcohol, which numbs any feelings of discomfort, well it numbs all of our feelings actually but any feelings of discomfort or shyness or awkwardness, it just takes those feelings away whilst helping us not care what other people think about us. And, yes. um, and it's in all the bars and that's what everyone's doing. So really, really hard not to get caught up in it. And I think that's a part a part, a big part of the message of sober curious is like, if you've got to a point where you're questioning your drinking or you feel like drinking may even be a problem for you, there's nothing to be ashamed of. That's actually mm. very normal. I think it's much harder not to become attached to alcohol Or to drink habitually than it is to just have a take it or leave it kind of attitude about alcohol
1: it's interesting all those conditions we 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 talk about nyc and london and paris and all these big mega cities but i find because i i'm from cyprus and i'm in cyprus right now while at the same time having lived in london and the uk Mm. for seven years but there are different conditions in different countries like here it's all about the beach going to the beach and having a cold beer by the beach. So it's, that's the culture. Yeah, right. Whereas in London, it was all about after work drinks.
2: Yeah. Different
1: yes. kind of conditioning. Now let's talk about the spirituality and how alcohol affects our spirituality because I know you touch on this in the book as well. So how does the consumption of alcohol interfere with our spiritual path? Does it and to what degree?
2: Oh, it's such a big, juicy question, and there is yes. actually a whole chapter on this called spirits and spirituality. I mean, first of all, let's think—it's so interesting, isn't it? That spirits, like the like hard yeah. distilled liquor, has the yeah. same name as the spook spirit, world, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's because um, that's ultimately because, like, what's distilled to create hard liquor is considered to be the essence. Or the spirit of that mm. substance, right? Um, so yeah, very interesting. But I also quote Russell Brand, whose book Recovery he talks about this. Um, how this, the 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 urge or the desire to drink is also an urge to connect with our spirituality, like our spirit, mm. our own life force, and also at the spirit that lives outside of us, the spirits that's in all things, right? Um, so yeah, that that's another. That's the other part of the. the the other side of the coin in a way it's like there's this desire to numb feelings of discomfort or pain or awkwardness but then there's also equally a desire to experience something that feels magical or transcendent Mm -hmm. which is where we can go to when we do connect when we have practices that connect us to our spirit it's just that we live in I mean you may or may not know I call I call the new age the now age yes because we live in the now age, yes. and part of that is about this. We live in this culture of instant gratification. And people, we're much more encouraged to, we, we're encouraged to kind of like get things, flip this switch and, and feel this way, like to have this pill and feel like this. And so it's much more appealing in the now age to think, oh, here, I can have a shot of tequila and feel like I've transcended to another realm. While and,
1: meditate, instead of, instead of
2: meditating for ten minutes. Can, like, meditate for a 10-day silence <laughs> of the to get there. It's like, what are you going to go for? but yeah I think that ultimately our desire to use alcohol and other substances is about wanting to connect to something that feels otherworldly like to transcend the kind of kind of kind of boring and mundane kind of reality of our everyday world but we can absolutely get there with our spiritual practice it just takes a little bit more time and commitment um, and patience
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I love how even in spirituality and with spiritual practices, there's more and more tools out there that help us get there faster. Like Kundalini yoga, you mentioned, yes. like for to me it's the fastest way to just get a high and just getting the zone. Like yeah. five minutes of ego eradicator, I'm there. Like I'm like drunk on life rather than <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> exactly. So
2: exactly. Speaking yes. of enjoying
1: race. yeah please go go on.
2: Is it even just like I something I've really noticed as well I think I used to think that alcohol was a really necessary part of having really close bonds with my friends like it was something yes. we connected over it was something that helped us get more vulnerable and reveal more of ourselves to each other but what I've realized since removing alcohol is that my friendships actually feel so much deeper and more connected and I get high off that. I feel like that's a way that I can connect to my spirit as well. When I see my true self, my true vulnerable self reflected in somebody else who I who I call a dear friend, that to me is a way to connect to my spirituality mm. as well. It doesn't even have to be a sort of like a mystical practice, but like anything that brings us closer to our essential self can be a spiritual practice, I think.
1: Yeah, the connection and the emotion can be that high in a way. And as a follow-up question to that, so because alcohol is so embedded into our lives, I remember, um, as I told you at university, I would just go out every, every Saturday starting with a bottle of wine and then getting drunk and mixing all kinds of drinks. So
2: sex, yeah.
1: <laughs> love, relationships, friendships were all associated with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I remember having chats with people all the time telling me I've never had sober sex. I've never had um, sober yeah, sober relationships and friendships. Every time I go out with my friends, it's accompanied with drinks. So many people are afraid that yeah. they're not going to be able to enjoy sex, love, or relationships and their friendships if alcohol is out of the equation. Why is that so? And is it possible to enjoy the same even, even, even more and fulfillment from our lives, from sex, from love, from relationships, without alcohol?
2: Well, what we're looking for in all of these things is connection. Like, we are hardwired for connection. We need it. We need it as much as we need food. We really need connection, human connection in our lives. Without it, we get sick. We get depressed. Like, it's, we, we can't function without connection. Um, some of us need it, and we all need it in different ways. Like for some people, lots of connection with a community, a wide-ranging community is great. For other people, more one-on-one and intimate or, you know, one-to-one connection is good. Um, And I think that, yeah, like I said, we've been taught to believe, we've been conditioned to believe that alcohol facilitates connection. Mm. When actually it's numbing us from, it's numbing the emotional part of the connection. Mm-hmm. Right? We, can have it, we can be in a space having a physical connection with someone and that could be at a party that could be in bed with someone that can be like on instagram live with someone almost you know I mean? <laughs> can have but when we're actually fully present having some water fully, here fully in our body feeling all of our feelings with that person that connection is amplified to like times a gazillion you know and the same goes for friendships the same goes for family relationships and the same definitely goes for sex like it might seem like it's easier to get into bed with someone or to have lots of different sexual encounters when you're feeling less shy you're feeling more confident because you don't care what anyone thinks about you anymore (laughs) the alcohol doesn't make you confident it's not caring what anyone else thinks about you that makes you confident So repeat yes
1: (laughs) <laughs> yes but you to think, that. You
2: think you're feeling more confident you think you're feeling more kind of like flirty because of it so you think that the sex is happening or the sex is good because of the alcohol but actually when it actually comes down to the physical act not being able to feel like not being able to feel physically like the full range of what's happening and not being able to really connect to what actually feels good for you very important piece of the puzzle as well lines getting blurred around consent I mean, Uh this is going to take us into a slightly heavier zone for a moment, but it's actually a very kind of unreported fact that alcohol is the number one date rape drug. Like Uh 89% of people who've experienced sexual assaults have been incapacitated with alcohol. And so often we worry about what might get put in our drink when actually it's the alcohol itself that's kind of blurring those lines and making it really hard to know whether you're in a fully consensual situation. So there's that as well, which is like the more serious side of it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, even with my husband, I've been with my husband for 20 years (laughs) and both of us now for the past, like four or five years, really not drinking at all. Like our sex life is kind of a whole other level. And I didn't even really think there was anything, there wasn't anything missing before, but now there's just this added kind of depth of intimacy and presence, added added level of presence. That's just It's taken it to another level. A friend of mine says that um, sober sex is like tantric sex. (laughs) Because you're just like so in the moment with it.
1: So it's basically, the way I hear it, we're rediscovering our true nature. Like quitting alcohol is in a way encouraging us to find all the answers we need within us and find all the energy and the presence and the connection we, we need within us. And more like remember that we already had that connection, but we forgot it because of conditioning. So it's basically removing a veil that we had over us that's preventing us from experiencing life the way we used to experience life as kids, for example.
2: Exactly, and if you think about like, at what age do people start saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? How about if it was just like, I just want to be me still. I just want to keep being me, please. Yes. But the older we get, there are more and more of these layers or these kind of like almost pieces of a, an adult suit that we think we have to put on in order to kind of like be a grown up and be responsible and become what everybody else expects us to become almost. And sure, of course, we're going to mature because of our life experiences. But I think that when we, we take on board too much of that conditioning, we can, dull, we can disconnect from our, tr- from our true essence. And so thinking about, like, even thinking about the things we used to love to do as a kid and just thinking about, you know, how we used to love playing and the kinds of friendships that we really enjoyed the most as a kid is a really nice way to even kind of, like, get back into, well, like, who am I without alcohol anyway, you know? Even if, like, yeah, of course, kids, you'll see, they have tantrums. They feel all their feelings and they let everybody know they're feeling their feelings. But then a kid has a tantrum and it's over in like five minutes because they feel it they let it out they express what needs to be expressed and then they're on to the next thing Did you know but we've also we also learned the um, we also come to believe that we're not allowed to do that as adults that we have to contain it we have to hold it in we have to carry on and push through when we're not feeling like it and that's just again we can then find ourselves getting stressed getting anxious suffering depression using alcohol as a way to medicate those more difficult feelings that we're not allowing ourselves to express.
0: Mm.
1: Ruby, what if someone just realizes that they have an alcohol problem or they just want to experience more presence and intimacy in their lives and they are ready to become sober curious? What is a pathway, step-by-step process that someone could follow to start doing this. So, because I've asked the question within my my Facebook group, Your Spiritual Toolkit, yesterday, what is your relationship with alcohol? And some Mm. people say, well, I drink it in moderation and I'm really happy with that. Other people said, I don't touch it. And a common concern was, I want to quit, but I don't know how. So what are some practical steps that people can start taking to improve their relationship with alcohol?
2: It's trick. It's so tricky. And it's also so simple on a very simple level. I can say, well, step one is to just stop drinking.
0: Mm.
2: Just stop. And anyone who's tried to just stop will realize very quickly how difficult that can be, whether or not you would say you're addicted to alcohol or whether it's just something that's interwoven into your entire friendship group. So just stopping. This is why I'm not a fan and I do not preach the idea of moderating your intake. I think if you really want to create a change in the way that you drink or even the way that you think about drinking, then a sustained period of abstinence, meaning at least a month, at least six weeks, I'd say, up Mm. to like three or four months, commit to a time period that's a really good long period of time. So you can really experience all of the benefits. You can really be in many different situations to experience what it's like without alcohol. And you can say to yourself, I'm doing an experiment. I'm doing 100 days. Anyone who pre-ordered my book actually got access to a 100-day reset that I did, where they got an email every day for 100 days. And I think they're on day, like, nine eighty-six or something right now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I think, yeah, an extended period of abstinence, like not drinking. Doing that thing. I've been there so many times. Oh, I'm only going to drink at the weekends. I'm only going to drink if it's a wedding or if I'm only going to drink never more than two glasses of wine in one sitting. And it always, always led me back to the same place. Mm. Like really, for me as well, like I don't get to really feel that presence starting to come in, which is one of the biggest motivators for, for staying, qu- staying stopped is to actually feel how good it feels to be fully sober. I don't really start feeling that until at least three or four weeks of no drinking at all. So, and then it just kind of gets deeper and deeper. It's like different layers, you know? So don't expect it to happen overnight and definitely commit to, I would say, three or four months of nothing at all, just so you can really like see the full benefit. For me, it's much more, it's less about focusing on the thing that you're removing from your life, like the heart, like feeling like you're depriving yourself or something. It's much more about focusing on what are all the things I want to experience? What are all the things I want to cultivate in my life? Mm. And really focus coming at it from that more, more sort of like positive um, mindset, you know? So another another great thing to do as you're embarking on this experiment of this like extended break is to write down all your reasons for wanting to quit. And that could be, I want to have no hangovers. I want to wake up every other hangover. I want to get better sleep. I want to commit everything to this project I'm launching. Um, I want to get to know my partner in a different way without alcohol crowning our relationship. Whatever your reasons are, write them down on a piece of paper and then have that piece of paper somewhere handy so that when a difficult situation comes up or when someone's mentioned there, the FOMA, fear of missing alcohol, when that kicks in, (laughs) you you can just look back at your list and remind yourself of all the reasons you're choosing this, you know?
1: And what if someone's tried that, they've committed, they stated their reasons and then they relapse how do we deal with relapse
2: okay so i prefer the term reminder
1: Ah, i love (laughs) it i I love it
2: i think it's just much kinder it
1: is
2: (laughs) less Less dramatic relapse has so much kind of like guilt like in that word you know what i mean it's like oh man i messed up i'm a bad person i'm weak i relapse i'm powerless if it's if you treat it as a reminder oh yeah that's why I don't drink, because it makes me feel like this afterwards, or because it made me send all those stupid texts last night or whatever it was, right? Oh yeah, that's why I don't. I find those reminders can actually be really fuel to making a longer sustainable shift. Actually I find them quite useful. I think having those reminders can actually be quite useful. Um it's funny, like I I, I, I don't drink anymore. Um but I recently was wondering, like, because I'm having all these conversations with people about sober curious. I recently was a bit like, do I actually need to go out? and I've forgotten what it feels like to be hungover. <laughs> I've, forgotten, I've forgotten the feeling and like the kind of anxiety and stuff that comes. It's like, do I actually need to go and get drunk so I can remember how it feels, so that I can be speaking to people, like I can be empathising more with people's experiences? <laughs> and I was like, no, I really don't want to do that. <laughs>
1: And I found that the, uh, the more we stay on the path, the more we, whatever that path is, whatever the we, teas whatever we're trying to like rid our lives off, the stronger our spiritual muscle gets, the stronger happiness muscle gets, that we no longer, no longer need an a- alcohol or some other kind of substance to give us that fix that we previously needed because we're so used to feeling so good that yes. the idea of feeling the, uh, the goodness of alcohol is so much lower vibe than, exactly. the, than how we're feeling right now that we no longer need the alcohol. So the stronger our spiritual path is and the stronger our, our our happiness muscle gets, the less we need something else to fulfill us.
2: Exactly. That was exactly what happened with me. When I moved to New York in 2012 and started to work on creating the numinous and yes. really aging myself in all of these different practices that I was writing about and um really int- intrigued by you know everything from breath work and meditation to yoga and sound bars and all the things right I really began to notice that the good feelings that were cultivated in me as a result of these practices felt so much better than the good feelings I got from alcohol and in fact the high I used to think I got from alcohol began to seem more like it was just kind of it felt more like a numbing It felt yeah. very like two-dimensional it's really kind of basic that's actually actually not even that appealing to me anymore
1: (laughs) absolutely and i want to i want to rub this up with a beautiful comment thank you ruby you make wonder woman look so easy (laughs) and you inspire others continue being you and doing your thing we need it ruby Thank you so much for joining me on the Lit Up Lightworker podcast. You've given us such practical tools and you've asked so many questions that I'm sure got everybody thinking. I'm so excited for everybody to uh, read Sober Curious. Where can people find out about you and the book?
2: So this is my one of my Instagrams, the Numinous, but I'm putting more of my Sober Curious stuff on my um, Ruby Warrington, my personal Hmm. Instagram. So more of that there. I also have a great newsletter that goes out twice a week and you can subscribe to that in the link tree on either of my Instagram profiles. That's probably the easiest way to keep in touch.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you so much to everybody joining us live. Wishing you the most beautiful rest of your day, Ruby.
2: Thank you, George. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Lit Up Lightworker podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at George Lizos to grab your free lightworker survival guide and catch the next live episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,